This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation this week. It is legislation designed to ensure that Ontario is better prepared in the event of a resurgence of COVID or an altogether different pandemic in the future. This past Thursday, the Ford PCs at Queen's Park passed the Pandemic and Emergency Preparedness Act, which they call a critical component of Ontario's plan to stay open. This act deals primarily with healthcare workers, boosting pay permanently for PSWs and DSWs, and promising to attract more doctors, nurses, and PSWs, in part by training more physicians and making it easier easier for foreign-trained health workers to begin practicing in Ontario. Joining us to discuss this and other issues important to the older demographic, our Monday Zoomer squad, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. He's on the phone. And in studio with me, David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hello to you all. Hey, Jane. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jane. Hi. It's a real treat for me to see David yeah. and Peter in yeah. person. It's a first. I know, David, you've yeah. been in the studio with Libby, but these... It's two like two and a half years. Almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You are my first uh, in-studio fight-back oh, guest. I, I hope that bodes well for I all of us. So. Great to be here. Hi. Sorry, I'm not there with you. We missed it by one week. That's right. Week. That, that's right, Bill. Well, let's talk about this act and whether it really does provide for being prepared for a resurgence or a brand new pandemic. Bill, you go ahead first. Well, it's it's interesting uh, to see these uh, items come up now, re, just re uh, reasserting what they had already uh, promised. You have to wonder whether uh, a $3 an hour uh, wage increases is really going to keep uh, staff uh, with all the other issues that staff were uh, were feeling and uh, the uh, efforts to uh, in- involve or to attract more staff are pretty light when it comes to the explanation of exactly how they're going to do it. So uh, it looks good on the surface. Uh, time will tell whether it'll really have the effect they're talking about and making Ontario uh, a place that will stay open. David, Bill's observations were exactly what I thought. This this sounds great. It's a it's a wonderful plan, but there's not a real how to element in all of it. Well, there is a little bit um, behind the lead item um, when they talk about uh, protective equipment and uh, some of those other things. And I'm I am uh, encouraged that they are paying some attention to nuts and bolts management. You know, when we had the Morocco Commission last year, when CARP was petitioning to get the uh, Minister of Long-Term Care fired, which they finally did do, but you might remember they had that Royal Commission on what went wrong in the nursing homes. And there was so much testimony, not just from the long-term care people, from the healthcare 
people, Christine Elliott and her deputy, about, gee, we didn't realize we were destroying the expired personal care, personal uh, infection prevention equipment. I thought that was your department. I thought that was your department. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes mismanagement of non ideological stuff, just routine management blocking and tackling that was like totally dysfunctional and messed up. And they do seem to be attacking some of those less spectacular but very important points in here. Uh, Doesn't get the headlines, uh, isn't going to uh, be as dramatic, but I'm pleased that they seem to be paying a little bit of attention to how the thing actually works and maybe trying to make that a little better, a little better. At least. So it feels to you as if issues around PPE could be resolved as a, as a result of this act. Yeah, they're paying attention to it, yeah. which they didn't have a clue about it before. No, exactly. Peter, what about you? Your thoughts? Um, like some of the language about uh, you know hiring more nurses, uh, you know paying their tuition if they work in underserved areas, um, you know reducing the um, the credential barriers that foreign workers face when they come here, you know, training more doctors, even like that, that's something Ontario hasn't done. They haven't increased the number of, uh, you know, physician uh, medical school seats for a long time. So, so a lot of these things are good. I, I, I think that a lot of them are, are pointing in the, in the right direction. Um, we'll, we'll just have to see whether, the, whether they work and if they don't work, whether the government follows up and, and tries something else. Yeah. Bill, uh, we know uh, there's been a real push by Premier Ford to bring in more immigrants and uh, certainly to use the, the skill sets that these immigrants have so they don't get mired up in bureaucracy and are able to practice their professions. I, I think that that is a, a very positive step yeah. forward. Yeah. Well, it is it is a positive step if we're able to keep them. Remember the the problem we've had with uh, employees, both those from out of the country and those uh, from inside our own province, are that they haven't stayed in these these jobs. The job conditions beyond the uh, beyond the money uh, have not been uh, such that they have wanted to stay in those jobs. I would rather see more focus on why people are leaving those jobs, why they aren't staying and fixing those issues than just bringing uh, more people. Remember, it's a lot easier to uh, keep workers than it is to find new ones to come in to fill the spaces of those who leave. Yeah, Bill's probably right, too, about the money, because, you know, it it looks like the job is going to remain the same. It's still going to be a very difficult job for PSWs. And unless you sweeten the the incentive, uh, you know, you're, it's going to be very difficult to attract more workers. So, so Bill's right. They, they have to pay more money, um, higher wages. You know. But it's kind of a double-edged sword, David, because uh, you want to attract more workers so that the PSWs, the nurses, the doctors aren't getting burned out because right. that's primarily what's happened through yeah. the pandemic. So you do want to bring in more people. And as, as a result of bringing in more people, presumably you will <laughs> lessen issues around staffing. You, that's the assumption, but bear in mind there's very different markets for doctors as opposed to PSWs. And if you work your way down the food chain, it's not a uniform <clears throat> problem everywhere. And if they haven't incre- added one new seat in med school in 10 years and they finally are throwing $140 million at it, you have to say that's, that's good. Um, the job of keeping 
PSW is happy with, uh, as Bill points out, $3 more. So that's not, you know, game changing. But I think what, I, what I'm most encouraged by here, it's not this is good versus this is bad. We always look at it as either or. I think they're recognizing that they have a confluence of problems here. Some of them are managerial. Some of them are philosophical. Some of them are financial. And they need to attack a lot of different fronts at the same time. And no one measure is going to do it. And at least it looks like to me the the range that they're trying to get wrap their arms around shows that they realize that they got to do a lot of little things at the same time. And maybe that's what they're trying to do. Well, let me put this question out to our Zoomer radio listeners. Uh, we all lived through, you know, the first two waves of the pandemic when there were so many deaths, literally thousands of deaths in long-term care related to COVID-19. Does this act, what we're talking about here that was passed by the Ford government uh, this past Thursday, does this entice you to reelect Premier Ford and uh, his governing PCs come June 2nd? Numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're welcome to call in for the entire show, but we are talking about long-term care and what an over overwhelming situation COVID has been for long-term care. Let me put that question to all of you, Bill. What do you think in terms of this act passing? How does it, how does it bode for the PCs and looking like they're serious about tackling the issue? Well, it's, it's been interesting as, uh, uh, as a somewhat impartial observer from the, from the outside of the, the parties and the announcements. Uh, the PCs have done a very good job in listing all the things they're going to do, be very positive. They've had announcement day after day. I've heard or seen very little from the other two uh, parties. One of them doesn't seem to have a lot of new ideas. The other is almost invisible. So at this point, uh, if I had 10 cents to put on the election, uh, yes, I would put it on uh, Premier Ford grudgingly. Peter, what are your thoughts on that, uh, how how this applies to the results of the election? Well, I mean, he's basically, you know, staking out his his, uh, you know, his his plan for for health care for the next uh, his next term. And, you know, I, I guess Ontarians can judge from this, you know, where, where the government's going to go and, um, you know, Will the you know is is this an adequate plan to take us forward through future, not only future pandemics but just to get the uh, the health system rolling again? And uh, you know he he's so far ahead now. It's hard to see him him losing on anything, and 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 hard to see what he gains by this. Whether he'll gain anything, but it's certainly reassuring to Ontarians that that the the Ford government uh, has their you know site set on an, on improving the health system and some good ideas in, in their plan. Phones are ringing, but David, I'll go to you first uh, well, uh, in terms of the re-election uh, efforts and whether this plan uh, will encourage voters to re-elect Doug Ford. He's trying to hit a lot of singles mm-hmm. and doubles, and um, the opposition pitchers are letting him. <laughs> you know, they just... Uh, they've got to answer with a home run, and there is no home run in health care. It's a lot of little things you got to do, and I think he's clever in making that a very busy agenda 
of, you know, let's fix this, let's shore up this, let's throw a little bit in here, because that's the only way you're going to fix it. It's not going to be one big dramatic sweeping gesture that changes it all overnight. 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Lucy in Scarborough. Lucy, what are your thoughts? Hi, I'm calling to, to just voice my concern about uh, the little promises that they're making with long-term care. Long-term care is a chronic problem. It's been there for 100 years. The problems have been, every time we get a new politician in that wants to be elected, they, they throw something, a bone at us, and we buy it. But it, it's a chronic problem that won't be fixed anytime soon. And so what you're hearing in terms of this act that was passed the other day, the Emergency and Preparedness Act, uh, does it address all of the chronic issues that we have in long-term care? No, I've been an RPN for 30 years. No, it doesn't address not even 5% of the problems that we're having. And, you know, I pro- probably you and I could talk about this for another hour, but what do you see that's missing from from this piece? Well, you know, they keep they, they keep adding a little three dollars to PSW, and or, or you know, they want to take away the one percent uh, from the the RNs. But I'm I'm saying that um, we need staffing, we need policies that that they can put into effect and actually police. Those things are not there. Okay, and and they they. they one of the major concerns I have is when people, elderly people, when they died of, of malnourishment in the, during the pandemic, I don't think it was because they were starved. I think it was because they don't eat. They refuse to eat when they're not well. It's hard to get nourishment into them. Things like that are things that we should be looking at. Okay. Thank you for your thoughts and contribution there, Lucy. You're welcome. Okay, let's go to Cheryl Barry. Cheryl, what do you think? Is this um, a good enough plan to reelect the premier? Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, there's so many different aspects of, of that ho- this whole election. Um, my question, or one of my questions today was um, to you and your panel, is why there hasn't been any feedback on Ford's recruitment policy last year that was in place um, to hire um, a lot more PSWs with more money and uh, schooling, um, opening up, you know, more uh, courses and that. Uh, we haven't heard a lot of feedback on that. And um, I know for a fact that some of the um, the money that went to that program, um, some of the people, and I, I mean, I have no idea with numbers. I just know as um, my, one of my sisters teaches nursing and what she either witnessed herself or actually heard through the grapevine um, that some of that money was kind of taken by some people that would sign up for that program and they never showed up to it. So um, I haven't heard any uh, you know, feedback at all about what happened back in 2021. Right. Yeah, you bring up a really good point because that was a big announcement around this time last year. Bill, have we seen any kind of results uh, from that first initiative to get more PSWs into the system? We have, we have not that uh, I've seen any reports on uh, numbers. Uh, I haven't heard the uh, 
uh, report that the caller suggested, although it's certainly uh, conceivable that could have happened. What we have heard is that there's been a lot of robbing Peter to pay Paul in that the $3 increase went there to the government-supported services, so private uh, home care, uh, which is also desperate for people and depended on by uh, a lot of people in our province, uh, they were they were taking people out of that system into the other into the government uh, system and still left us woefully uh, uh, weak in terms of the number of uh, of uh, PSWs and others that were available. So I am sure if there had been more success in it. Uh, we would have already been told there was success. So I suspect the silence means it didn't produce the numbers that they had promised it would in the beginning. Yeah, I'm glad our caller brought that issue to our attention or reminded us of that big announcement last year. It's our Monday Zoomer squad, Bill Van Gorder, David Kravitz, Peter Mugrich, Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio. And Helen in Toronto wants to add something. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I've heard from some of my friends that they have PSWs that come in and are not allowed to do certain things. Uh, one of them, her mother needs to be churned, but because of a gaping wound, the PSWs are told, no, they can't do it, except one renegade who she thanks God for. Uh, there are other things. Perhaps they should be allowed to give needles. There are a number of things that, if properly trained, they could release some of the pressures on the RNs. Uh, I witnessed this myself when my mother was in long-term care, that they were able to, they wanted to, they weren't allowed to. Yeah, so, from what I remember even, and I think this is almost common knowledge now, when my mother-in-law was in long-term care, and this is pre-pandemic, there would only ever be one RN per shift, and then several PSWs that you would see tending to the residents. So, David, what what about that? What about changing the parameters of, of the skill set of PSWs? Well, I think it's also part of the um, overall staffing and labor uh, situation. How many do you have? Are they properly organized? We talked last week about a, a patient-centered model versus an institutional model. How do you change the whole system from an institutional check-the-box, task-oriented, go down the hall and do this and this, to making the patient the center. The blunt truth is that they have to redesign the airplane while it's flying because there's so many things that need fixing. And the other thing we should bear in mind is that this isn't static. This is happening at a time of skyrocketing demand because people are living longer, and it is continent-wide. There are staff shortages throughout the length and breadth of the long-term care industry in the United States. The same problems as uh, we're having here of people staying in the hospital for too long because beds aren't available in long-term care, long-term care not acquiring enough people, staff shortages, um, redesign of what does the job entail in the first place and who's doing it, and is that the most efficient way of doing it? How do you balance efficiency with quality of care? Um, lots of moving parts here, and I think it's a topic we're going to be coming back to again and again and again, and not to cut the government any slack that they don't deserve. I would observe, though, that there are lots and lots of little things they've got to do all at the same time, none of them necessarily 
as sweeping as we might like, but that's just the reality. And part of the conversation the three of us and you all have had with Libby as well is, uh, and it's a big push for CARP members, is improving care for people to stay in their homes as long as possible. Because, Peter, I mean, we know from the COVID crisis, people hear these stories about long-term care. The three of us in this room, Bill, on the line, who would want to be in a nursing home after all of this? Exactly. And, um, you know, they... There's nothing in this, as far as I can see, maybe Bill can correct me, there's nothing in this about um, expanding home or community care um, in, in, in this push to stay open. So um, it, it's, it's always overlooked, talking to Bill over the years, talking to CARP over the years, it's, it's, it's an area that's always overlooked. Um, they just can't seem to get the right uh, people in place, the right commitment in place to do it. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what the problem is, whether it's just a like a... You know, uh, advocacy groups have to do a better selling job to prove the case or, or whether, you know, governments will just stumble over it and find out that, you know, home and community care is, is, is much uh, cheaper and more efficient way of delivering care than uh, nursing homes, which um, utterly failed us during the pandemic. What do you see as the issue there, Bill, and in, in, in why we can't get the push towards home care? I mean, clearly the money is there. The announcements keep coming and they're all, they all have a price tag attached to them. All we saw in the federal budget and we're waiting now on the provincial budget is, is the tax credit to adapt a home for multi-generational living. But we're really seeing very little in the way of making life better as you age at home. Well, you're you're absolutely right, and and that is one of the the real uh, issues is that there's not a recognition of the value of uh, staying there uh, in your own home or an understanding of it. Even the even the federal uh, announcement during the budget when they when they bragged about this up to fifteen thousand dollars being being available, that's only to people who could afford to spend fifty thousand uh, dollars to get the fifteen. It's not going to help the majority of people who are looking to improve the situation with with uh, with home care and as david said it's a whole bunch of of little things uh the the caller uh, uh, we just had talked about uh, uh psw's not being allowed uh, to do certain things so, and and that's and that's true there's an assessment that's done uh, by a, a, a bureaucratic uh, uh, person, generally by phone these days, of what a client might need in the home. And that's what the PSW is told they must deliver. It has nothing to do with training. The PSW who goes in may or may not be trained to, to do the job, but if their list of things they're allowed to do is is uh, is not on it, they can't do it. And that kind of lack of communication with the patient and with the family in terms of delivering within the few hours they have the care that they need is a, is a terrible oversight by the system. And it's one of the things that's got to be fixed before home care is really going to work in the province. We just have a few more minutes left with our Zoomer squad on this Monday, but I'd like to address an issue that has been very much on our minds since the mask mandate was dropped in Ontario for most indoor public settings on March 21st. 
there are there is still a mask mandate in place for long-term care homes, retirement homes, other congregate settings, as well as public transit uh, until April 27th. Last week, Premier Doug Ford indicated he would be happy. I think those were his words, happy to extend it. Uh, good idea, Peter, to extend it. I, I think so. It, it, it seems to me a no-brainer. We've all got used to wearing them in certain settings, uh, you know, public transit, in hospitals, in long-term care. And I, I don't see why we, we need to stop. You know, like um, a lot of the other rules have been loosened up in, in uh, long-term care. But, uh, you know, masking, it, it's not a huge burden. And I don't see why it can't continue. David? Well, I think Ford was uh, shrewd in positioning it that he was waiting for Dr. Kieran Moore. And if Moore said, go beyond the 27th, I will. But his, the, the thought was exactly in the tonality that Peter just gave. Look, this isn't the end of the world. We're trying to be prudent here. Uh, in these situations of higher risk, if my medical expert tells me that we should extend it by a week, by two weeks, by three weeks in those environments, who wouldn't want to do that? So he's positioning it as a no biggie common sense. Of course, you would want to take every precaution. Um, and I think it's smart to kind of low key it that way and, and say I'm open to it if a doctor. And then Moore came out and said, I'm watching it closely. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. But it, they're positioning it almost like a uh, let's see what happens. And we're ready to do it for a little bit longer if we have to so dial the temperature down a bit and mm -hmm. treat it as a sensible measure rather than an oh, my God measure. <laughs> right. But there's no doubt about it. Um, I had a panel of experts on Thursday talking about the wastewater surveillance with yeah. COVID cases and how uh, it was noticeable how many more cases we got after the mask mandate was dropped. And we know every day people are dying when they announced the Friday and Saturday numbers, 23 deaths, five were in long-term care. Uh, we know three more people have died as of today. So in their the 100,000 cases that the mo or that the wastewater surveillance suggests are in Ontario every day, among those, you do have severe cases and ultimately you will have deaths. So a lot of people, Bill, feel that uh, Premier Ford has been irresponsible in lifting the first mask mandate. So you just wonder what is his motivation in extending the other one? Well, I think maybe he's 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 understood the uh, feedback that he's getting that he made a he made a, a, a bad decision, uh, as Peter and David both said. It's one of the easiest things we can do. People are used to doing it now, and as we talk to uh, CARP members across uh, across the province, indeed across the country, uh, they're all not only saying they're going to continue to wear their own masks, but they're very upset that the mandate hasn't been left in, in place. The easiest thing that can be done to protect ourselves and protect others and for some uh, really unknown people don't understand what the reason was for lifting it in the first place. And uh, they're very sure that uh, it's not going to be too long before uh, they're forced to put it back into place uh, because uh, lifting it hasn't worked, has made the situation much worse. It has. We will leave it there. Uh, as always, thank you to our Zoomer squad for um, an not an exciting conversation, but certainly an inspiring conversation to perhaps inspire a conversation at your own dinner table tonight. Gentlemen, thank you. Thanks so Thanks, much, Jane. Thanks very thank much. You.
Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. It's Jane for Libby. And coming up in the second half of Fight Back, traveling safely in the age of Omicron. If you're planning to get on a plane and leave the country, or even if you're just thinking about doing it, you will definitely want to join us next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation this week, not out of the country. She is traveling in Canada, but uh, that leads us into our next segment, Zoomers and our love of travel. But after two years of COVID and with the pandemic still very much a thing, traveling now is much different than traveling before this global crisis began. So much of what we need to heed before even even booking the trip and then going to the airport is about COVID vaccination and masking. And if you're just coming back from a trip or about to go on your first international vacation since before COVID, we would love to have you part of this conversation. Numbers to call, as always, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Joining us to talk about traveling safely in the age of Omicron, Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure, Inc., Richard Vanderloop with the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies and president of TripCentral.ca and the mayor of Niagara Falls, Canada, Jim Diodati. Hi to you all. Good afternoon. Let's, let's first talk about the state of travel 25 months in. Marty, I'll begin with you. It's booming. There are tremendous interest from people. Once restrictions were removed, we only have one left, but once those initial restrictions were removed and no requirement to come back into Canada with a negative test, things absolutely blew up and people began to travel again. So really on that note alone, it's incredibly positive. We have to be very uh, feel good about it at this point. Yeah, I love the tone of your voice. I love the excitement. Uh, Richard, what are your thoughts on the state of travel now? Yeah, certainly our business and travel agencies in general were, um, you know, swamped with requests, particularly, you know, heading south. I think for the entree into the market, um, all-inclusive vacations, sun vacations, going to Florida vacation homes, uh, things that, you know, you could spend time outdoors, uh, very, very popular. And obviously with the timing of the winter uh, coming to an end, it, it created a real peak of demand where we would normally have a lot of people already booked. They all came out of the woodwork starting really back, let's say, end of January, Feb 15th, when the advisory was lifted, when the testing was changed, and when the testing was removed. Each time there was a step up in demand. Of course, now with the winter, you know, tailing off, we're seeing things decline a little bit. It's seasonally normal and, you know, a shift into uh, into fall and, and winter of next year. And I think the you know the summer is a little more uncertain with Europe and um, and what have you, but I think short trips in the U.S. and Canada are, are are peaking as well. Okay, on that note, let's go over to Mayor Jim Diodati in Niagara Falls. Are you seeing Jim more people coming across the border now that they don't have to present that negative COVID test? 
Well, you know, Jane, we are, but it's not. Uh, I think we've taken steps in the right direction. We need to take a further step. The big challenge right now is the Arrive Can app requirement at the border. I've received significant amount of calls from people, a lot of them seniors and Canadians, who are very frustrated because you have to have some digital technology at your fingertips. And some of these people don't have cell phones. Maybe they have flip phones. And and I've had one gentleman in particular, he was so frustrated. He's a, a snowbird traveler. And he said to me, you know, I can prove I'm Canadian. I can prove I'm fully vaccinated with my booster. Why are they forcing me to do this extra digital step that goes outside of my realm of ability? Very, very frustrated. And, and it, you know, I, I was speaking with the minister last week, and we're going to have a follow-up call this week. I said, if it doesn't help to keep us safer, why are we doing it? It just puts red tape in the way, and it slows down the free flow across the border. And what I'm seeing right now, Jane, more Canadians going to the U.S., not as many Americans coming to Canada, because a lot of Americans will simply bypass Canada this year and go to other destinations, whereas Canadians, we're anxious. We want to go across the river, as we call it, to do our shopping, do our visiting. So that Arrive Can app right now is a big encumbrance for the the tourism back and forth. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and you make a good point, because if somebody can prove on paper that uh, they have met all of the criteria, why can't they just present that? I mean, understanding you know, how the system works, uh, there should be there should be some give and take for those people who are not tech savvy, as you point out. Well, that's exactly our, our philosophy and what we're saying. And we're trying to have that discussion with the minister. And especially imagine you're an American, you're coming for a day trip and part of the Arrive Can app process, you have to give a Canadian address of part of your plan for isolation. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a day tripper, you don't have an address. If you're staying overnight, you'll have a hotel address. So a lot of Americans are very frustrated saying, I'm not coming back again until you guys smarten up with this craziness because they know it doesn't help us to become any safer. It's just another layer of bureaucracy. And as a matter of fact, I saw there's more money in the budget to have more of this program. So it's not helpful for tourism. And I can tell you, Niagara Falls, we're the number one leisure destination in the country. We get 14 million people here every year. 40,000 people count on tourism to feed their families. We need that border to work. We've had two devastating seasons, and the Americans represent 50% of the revenue into Niagara Falls. So it's important, it matters, and we need to have these discussions. Yeah, it almost seems like the Arrive Can app, uh, Marty, is is more uh, relevant for those people who are flying into Canada for an extended amount of time rather than just coming over the border to get a to do some shopping. Yeah, I think uh, the mayor makes a great point. Honestly, I'm the one who had to struggle with call after call of my snowbird clientele that was coming back in April. What can I, can I help them at all with the arrive can doctor having issues with it? He is so right. Honestly, if you can show the fact that you're fully vaccinated, even had a booster shot and your normal passport requirements and whatever nexus or not, that should be sufficient. This is really a problem and no question has to be off the table at some point. Richard, do we have any indication as to when the Arrive Can app may be, uh, may be history? Well, I think this is where cooperation amongst governments is really important because, you know, Canada is not the only jurisdiction that has these sort of applications mm-hmm. and, and forms to fill out. Um, I, think, I think it can be simplified for sure. Um, you know, there, there's no indication that we're hearing 
we, we haven't been made aware of anything. We're still advising people that they do need to fill this in. Uh, personal experience, having traveled several times, it is, it is convoluted. Um, it could be simplified. And, uh, you know, certainly the first time I was traveling, I was getting all these, uh, these warnings and emails that were showing up and it, it didn't even apply to me. So I think there is, there is a bit of, uh, insanity with leaving it the way it is. I think there, uh, the way it is today represents a time when, you know, it, we were in a far darker place during the pandemic. Right. Let's go to the phones now. And by the way, the numbers to call and we want to hear your travel stories. Are you booking travel? Will this be your first time out of the country since the COVID crisis began? Have you been on a trip and would like to share your experience? 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Betty is calling from Niagara Falls. Go ahead, Betty. Yeah, hi, Jane. Um, I was just coming back from visiting my daughter in Chicago. I have tried for almost three years to put a Rive can on my phone, and I had someone in the, um, the Washington airport in 2020 uh, try to put it on for me. I had someone in the airport in 2021 in Canada try to put it on. I can't do it. I've tried. I'm 70 years old. I've tried. I've had people help me. I still can't get it on. I still don't have it on. So I came back on Wednesday of this past week from Chicago, and the man at the border, the agent, the custom agent at the border, he he was just rude. He was mean. He told me that I was going to give up my nexus. He was going to find me. I didn't have it. I was against the government. I wasn't following the rules. It was horrible. Yeah, that does absolutely. sound horrible. That that absolutely sounds abusive. Horrible. I'm a Canadian mm-hmm. citizen. I had a passport. I have three vaccines. I had Nexus. I had everything I needed, and he was just downright horrible. And this was this was an secondary. Yeah, this was an American um, customs person. No, he was Canadian. He was Canadian. Okay. Um, and, so how um, did you how did you get back then? Well, he sent me over to secondary. He handed me a yellow card and said, "You go and deal with it." And I said to him, I tried to tell him that I have tried three times with help from from custom agents in different airports. It's not like I'm trying to, you know, rebel against the rules right. of Canada. I'm right. not trying to do that. I've lived here all my life. But he said he didn't want to hear my excuses. Okay. He didn't need excuses from me. Um, Martin, just rude and mean. Right. Let's get Martin's reaction, because, Martin, you mentioned that a lot of snowbirds you're speaking with, you're hearing similar stories. What do you make of Betty's uh, story about this uh, agent? Yeah, I mean, that is stories I've heard to that effect, both people driving across and flying across. Uh, You know, it's strange about the phone, why it won't download it. But you know what? All my snowbirds say, I ask my kids to do it and they end up doing it all for me and things like that. I hate to say it. It's gotten to that point where we're looking for tech savvy people to now help us fill out that document. Yes. No idea why it's not downloading on the phone because that seems to be simple, but maybe it isn't. So maybe it's a problem with the phone. I have no idea. Betty, thank you so much for calling. Let's go to Carol in London. Uh, Go ahead, Carol. Carol, you're on Fight Back. You're live on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. I just wanted to briefly tell you I just returned from my first trip in 25 months. Went to Europe, did a cruise. Um, There were absolutely no hesitations, no concerns. Protocols were high. Um, People were very, very compliant with all the rules. And 
the only issue I had was coming home with ArriveCan. And and so what was your issue with ArriveCan? It would not download, and uh, agents in the Barcelona and Amsterdam airport tried to help me. Flight crew tried to help. Nobody could get it done. And when I showed it to the young girl lady at the uh, health department at the Toronto airport, she just shook her head and said, I, I haven't even seen this problem before. Richard, I wonder if some of this is due to the model of phone, right? If perhaps it's an older phone, that could be the issue. It's a brand new iPhone. It's a brand new iPhone. I, from, I think it's un, I think it's unusual. I mean, a lot of the other countries where this information is requested on arrival, so Canadians have to fill out forms to go to some destination, and and why it is that it's only on a phone. I, I think is an issue. I mean, it should be that it could be done on a website and print something. A lot of countries have it where you enter it on a website, you print it, and there's a QR code on arrival. I think, again, from my own experience and hearing from uh, from lots of people that have traveled, uh, quite often you come back um, and no one even looks at it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's <laughs> and because... You, and you, wonder, and you yeah. wonder what this is all about. I mean, I know it's registered in the database and right. there's a reason for it, but why it has to be on a phone... Um, to me, is is just one of these you know tech barriers that's not necessary. Right. I don't, I think yeah. that they don't look at it because it's all attached to your the number on your passport, right? So it comes up that you've filled out all of the criteria. So you, they probably don't even talk to you about you know that's been my experience the two times traveling outside of the country during COVID. I figure they have my information because they see it attached to my passport number. The one thing, the young lady in the uh, Immigration Health Department, she said that this was going to be permanent going on with the arrive camp. Permanent. Um, okay. That's yeah. not good and news for, for anybody. caller said, if we have our passport, we have the QR codes for all our vaccines, the arrive camp is just really, really senseless. Okay. We do need um, to take a quick break. Carol, I want to ask you, did you have a good time? Had an amazing <laughs> That's time. That's awesome. It was so wonderful. It makes you feel like you're alive again. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally get that. Okay, thank you so much for calling. Well, thank you. Bye for now. And when we get come back, I want to talk with our panelists about calculating your risk. How do you know that your risk is low for international travel for um, for contracting COVID-19? How, how do you know you are a good candidate for travel 25 months into this pandemic? And again, the numbers to call 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We are talking about international travel, and a lot of you have called in to discuss your travel plans or your travel experiences. And I will get to you in just a moment. Our guest this half hour, Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure Inc., Richard Vanderloob with the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies and president of TripCentral.ca and the mayor of Niagara Falls, Jim Diodati. Now, let's talk about uh, calculating your risk. Marty, how do you know if you're a good candidate for international travel at this stage? That's a great question, and that's my world is risk. So I'm going to tell you a a scenario that just happened to me personally with my daughter, who had booked a trip to Bahamas for a family of five on today, 
And on Friday, the entire family came down with COVID. Had it not been for the fact that she bought trip cancellation, which I think I pushed her to do, she would have been out over $9,000 because this is wow. what everybody's forgetting now. If you test positive prior to going to the Bahamas, as an example, or going into the U.S., you can't get on that plane. So that's problematic. So I can't stress enough how you can worry about getting it abroad. You have to worry about getting it prior to the trip and then not being able to go on the trip. But Marty, can't you put off your trip one time? So say you get COVID, a lot of the airlines or, you know, the vacation packages will allow you to move at once. Can't address the vacation packages per se. All I can say is in their scenario, they rented a condo from an Airbnb type scenario and that money was non-refundable and not available for refund. So they would have absolutely walked away from the entire amount. Richard, uh, talk to us about your thoughts on uh, risk for travel. How do you know that you're a good candidate? I think first and foremost, um, you know, we're not medical people. So if there's any concern with uh, with medical situation, talk to your doctor about that because there obviously are, are still risks. When we're we're talking more about uh, insurance cancellation penalties. I think um, in the past, you know, uh, customers were really focused on getting the, the best fare or the best deal. Um, now you've really got to look at the, the cancellation penalties, the change penalties. Um, many uh, suppliers are offering forms of insurance, but they're not really insurance. They're, they're cancellation waivers that basically uh, reduce the cancellation penalties. But, um, you know, I think looking at the whole insurance picture has always been important, but customers uh, often just rush through that. And quite often, you know, we felt like we were the, the car salespeople talking about the extended warranty and people would just tune out. Now, I think a lot of consumers are, are really listening and paying attention. And as Marty mentioned, if you have disconnected travel plans, you buy your airline ticket here, you buy your hotel over there, you buy components, those aren't all linked. Mm-hmm. So all of these have different meanings in terms of, you know, if you have to cancel or make changes. Right. Good point. And of course, you want to be as vaccinated as you can be against COVID. Uh, you want well, to you want to make sure that when you're coming back, uh, you're not exposing yourself to any immunocompromised people, those kinds of things, right? And I think the other the rules are changing with boosters as well. So there's countries in Europe now that are insisting on uh, third doses and what have you. So you, you also have to be prepared that the situation may change right up until departure. Um, and so it's a good idea to you know to, to deal with a travel agent that's going to advise you of the rules not only at the time of booking but right up till the time of travel. And Mayor Diodati, if you want, if you haven't traveled and you want to get your feet wet, uh, crossing the border by car is probably a good way to do it. You know, it is, and it's pretty seamless when you cross into the U.S. They ask very few questions. They'll ask if you're vaccinated. Very rarely do they ask for proof. And coming back again, that's where we have the challenge with the ArriveCan app. My advice to most people is common sense has to prevail We've all become something of COVID experts over the last couple of years. And prime example, my son and I, a couple of weeks ago, we went to the Toronto Blue Jays home opener. And on the way back, the GO train was just jam-packed. And I was a little bit too close for comfort. And we both put our masks on. And nobody was coughing, but it was just a common sense decision. So when you travel, 
common sense. If you're, you stay away from dark, scary areas, uh, if you can't swim, stay out of the water. Right. And if you're in close contact with people, wear your mask. Put and your in mask Niagara on, Falls, yep. uh, Jane, we've gone above and beyond. We created a couple other programs at the beginning of COVID, safetoplay.ca and safetostay.ca, where we brought in an epidemiologist and we created a lot of protocols just to make sure we go above and beyond make sure all of our employees are educated. And we try to, in a friendly and educational and awareness way, you know, show people the best way to be and for their own safety. So absolutely common sense has to be key. Okay, I want to get back to the phones here. Karen in Fergus, uh, you'd like to share a story? Go ahead. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, yes, I went to um, Cuba, to Veradero Beach on January 1st. Um, for a month, I came home for two weeks and went back for an, a, another month. Um, but uh, let's get to the arrive can thing. I started doing it in my the first time I started doing it in my hotel room too soon because you can get so far on it, but then you have to save and close. Right, because, right. Uh, within they won't let you finish it if it's outside of the seventy two hours before your flight. Exactly. So when I went to get, so I, at that time, I, I downloaded my QR code from my vaccines and everything into it, blah, blah, blah. And then when I got, like, tried to get back into it to finish up, I couldn't get back in. No no way, no how. It kept telling me my password was wrong. So I reset my password. Like, I don't know how many times I was freaking out. Got to the airport and there was a, the, uh, uh, Air Transat agent said, go and see that guy over there in that little booth. He'll help you with the arrive can. So I had to go over there by Wi-Fi from him. Mm-hmm. But he just, like, he just blew through it and finished it for me in about two seconds. Okay, yeah, you're right. So, there is always somebody there to assist. That was our experience in the Dominican and Jamaica as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, fast forward to landing in Toronto and coming through customs, I scanned everything through the machines. And then when I got to the first customs officer, he said, are you vaccinated? And I said, yes. And he said, oh, well, it's not showing oh, no. on your piece of paper here. Okay. So go go to the, tri- um, I think he called it the triage line, but that doesn't sound right. Anyway, um, so I had to stand in another line for ages. and uh, and And the second guy just, kind of looked at it. I showed him my QR code uh, physically there. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, get going. Right. So, you know, the second time it was a, it was a breeze. The arrive can was a, was a breeze. And um, I got to Toronto and everything, everything was pretty quick there. And I thought I was on my way out of the airport. And then it was like, oh, no, 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 hang on to your passport. And I thought, that's really weird because I've got my bag. I'm heading out. And I get channeled down to another corridor to a bunch of people in blue plastic suits for my, for my, um, I guess my random COVID sure. test. So, okay. So you you've know, had an experience, but you had a good time while you were in Cuba. Oh my God. I wish I was still there. I, I know. I'd never come back. <laughs> That's how I feel about Jamaica too. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. I want to get through these calls here. Let's go to Uno in Scarborough. Go ahead. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm planning to go with my wife to uh, Greece in about a month's time. And uh, we're both uh, over 70. So we're going to have our uh, fourth shot uh, next, to, uh, actually in, in two days. Oh, so, great. So that'll, that helps us feel a little more confident. Yeah. Uh, but we're a little concerned because we have no idea of what to expect 
in Greece. And I was wondering if any of your guests or you have any input to give. Uh, you know, we're traveling. Uh, the tour includes going by bus to different sites. Okay. Okay. Let me, uh, we just have a couple of minutes left. And I hear as well, Uno, you're a first time caller. So yes, that, there's the bell for you. Um, wow. Marty, what about uh, Uno's questions about Greece? Well, funny enough, I'm planning Greece also in uh, June. So, I mean, at the end of the day, proper insurance. I hate to sound like I'm harping on it, but it's a fact of life. So cancellation, medical, and interruption. And everything after that point is, I think, as Richard said, being safe and smart, or the mayor, with respect to masks when you need to wear them, social distancing still part of it, and just to be cautious and careful. Uno, will you call back and tell us how it was afterwards? I sure will. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Let's go to Hazel in Niagara Falls. Hazel, just a few seconds, please, for your comments. Sure. Go ahead. Oh, hi. I I called a few months ago regarding I was going on two cruises in January. Well, I just wanted to let you know that I've canceled them. We got all our money back, and then I got a stay vacation, and... uh, at the casino and lost all of my money. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyways, what I wanted to tell you was uh, I've been told. Okay, that, quickly. Um, yep. Uh, the arrive can can go uh, and your things, your vaccinations can go on your uh, Nexus card. Okay. That information can go on you. I haven't tried it myself yet. But okay, I'll but that's a good tip. I figure it out. Okay, I do, sorry for rushing you. I just want to get a final comment here from Richard and from Jim. Go ahead, Richard. I'm going to Greece in May. I'll, I'll let the caller know. No, I think um, from what I've heard for for Europe, um, a, a lot is is quite you know as normal as it can be. Um, for tourism, I think, um, in terms of, uh, you know, coaches and what have you, they'll probably be at reduced capacity. Um, but I think generally speaking, Europe is sort of ready for a, for a quieter, uh, tourism season from North America, but, um, it's still, it's still a good option this year. Okay. And Mayor Diodati, just a 10, 15 seconds from you. Well, and for those of you that aren't sure what to do, first of all, I want to say I agree completely with Martin and Richard. Get your insurance. You need to make sure you cover your behind. Uh, Niagara Falls, always a great staycation, and the Ford government's created staycation tax credit to incentivize you to come here. And we love to have people here. We'll roll out the red carpet. Happy to have you come here for a little bit of a vacation as well. Okay, this has been a great segment. Thank you all for your time. Thank you. Thank you. The mayor of Niagara Falls, Jim Diodati, Richard Vanderlube with the Association of Canadian Travel Agencies and president of TripCentral.ca and Marty Firestone, president of Travel Secure Inc. Jane for Libby back tomorrow with our strategy panel. Bob Comsick has news next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.